Do you remember any of your first few prayers? Uh, maybe you were like me learning to pray as a kid, and your prayers involved asking God to help your Little League baseball team win against the rival town. Uh, maybe asking God to help you not say that word. Uh, maybe you started praying when you were older, uh, but likely you had the same type of prayers, asking God to help you with something. And most of our motivation was genuine in that we wanted to follow Jesus, but maybe we weren't sure how or knew we needed help. And sort of sprinkled in were some requests usually focused on us. Now, I'm not saying there was really anything wrong with those prayers when we are first learning to pray. The problem comes about if our prayers stay that way as we grow and mature. If our prayers stay focused on us and our world, we can miss out on the importance of prayer. And worse yet, we might eventually stop praying altogether. So what do more mature, grown-up prayers look like? And how do we know if we are praying right? Uh, interestingly, one of Jesus' disciples asked a similar question in Luke 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this question comes up even though they had been praying most of their lives. Uh, they were likely brought up praying uh, portions of the Psalms and other Old Testament writings. Uh, they were likely taught to pray by their fathers and mothers and by their religious leaders. Uh, probably they were praying as they were taught as children or teenagers, uh, possibly reciting some of the same memorized prayers over and over. Uh, and maybe you can relate to that. But then Jesus came along. And if Jesus was sort of praying the right way, then these disciples realized they had a lot to learn because there was something different about Jesus' prayers. There seemed to be a connection between Jesus and God that they weren't accustomed to. It was seemingly more intimate and less scripted. There was passion and intensity. It was different enough that it made them discontent with their own prayers. And so again, they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And I think this is where each of us should be today. Because if we're honest, we don't always sense an intimate connection with God when we're praying. Even though most of us usually don't write out our prayers, they can almost feel scripted, sort of sounding repetitive from week to week. And on top of that, very few of our prayers actually get answered, right? Unless you count those prayers about the things that were probably going to happen anyway. Like your car keys and your phone were exactly where you left them. Uh, you did find a parking space, but so did a hundred other non-praying people who were also at that mall as well. And when it comes to those sort of miracle prayers, something big that, that if God doesn't come through, then it won't happen, uh, occasionally you get a yes. But most of the time, you sort of get nothing. And maybe for some of you, the nothings led you to wonder or believe there was nothing to prayer. And it was just sort of a waste of time or it doesn't work. And as we'll see, those kind of prayers that most of us pray don't actually work, or at least not the way that we want them to. However, in spite of that, Jesus did pray, and he taught his followers to pray. And at least reflexively, most of us will continue to pray on some level, regardless of the outcome. So before we get to how Jesus taught them to pray, we will look at how he taught them not to pray. And if you're not a religious person or you're not a fan of Christians, you will probably like this part. Uh, this next part might be another reason you should at least consider following Jesus, because Jesus begins teaching them how not to pray by pointing out the hypocrisy of so many people who pray. We're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 6. You can follow along the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Again, Jesus sort of starts off by teaching his followers how not to pray. Matthew 6 verse 5. When you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Again, if you aren't a religious person or you're not so sure about Christians, this is the part you might love about Jesus. He had no tolerance for hypocrites or pretenders because he knew people's hearts. He knew what was inside their hearts. And Jesus knew that these hypocrites were not better than those around them. In fact, many times they were actually worse because they were hiding stuff from other people. And they were sort of hiding behind their positions or their skills. And I tell you the truth, and to tell you the truth, that is really all the reward they will ever get, Jesus said. And this is where Jesus sort of connects prayer to something good happening. But for those hypocrites, the attention they get from those hearing their prayers is all the good they will get. However, it doesn't seem God is sort of impressed with those public prayers by inauthentic people. They would get attention, but just from the people watching, not necessarily from God. Verse 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Now, this raises a few questions like, when do you pray? Where do you pray? But these are the questions that Jesus seemed to indicate were important. And if I were to suggest that you shouldn't just pray while you're driving, which I'm guilty of doing as well, or while walking the dog or, or waiting for the bus, you might push back and object. However, in a few moments, Jesus is going to tell us why we need to find a time and a place where we can be isolated from the things and people around us. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. That Jesus is instructing us to pray directly to God, not through someone else. That Jesus instructs us to address our prayers to God in relational terms. Now, maybe part of the reason to find a place by ourselves is so that you can have a private conversation with your Heavenly Father. A place where you can sort of pour out your heart, say whatever needs to be said in the tone and with the words that you need to express. Because we typically find places to have important conversations where we won't get distracted. And your father wants that for you as well. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. That according to Jesus, God sees you praying even when you are alone with the door closed. And again, Jesus sort of indicates there's a reward associated with prayer. That the public prayers don't seem to have the same reward, just the attention from the public. But private prayers have a different reward, which is at least partly that you are seen by God, that you have God's attention. What if that were true? Uh, that when you pray in private, God sees you and you have his attention. What if God sees you praying? What if you knew with certainty that God saw you praying? What would you pray about? And then Jesus gives us another don't pray like this, but he sort of shifts away from how they shouldn't pray like the Jewish leaders to how they shouldn't pray like the Gentiles, the, anyone who wasn't Jewish, the, the Romans and the pagan priests. He says this in verse 7, When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered by merely repeating their words again and again. That repetition and length don't seem to move our God. He isn't looking for you to say the right word the right number of times or the right way. Jesus sort of actually created a parable, a story with a point about this. He included a religious leader and a tax collector who both went to the temple to pray. And the religious leader's prayer was mostly about him and how good he was. And then the tax collector's prayer was, was different, partially because the people in the audience would have assumed that God wouldn't even hear the tax collector's prayer. But then Jesus describes how the tax collector prayed in verse 13 of Luke 18. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Like, that's a short prayer. Like, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. 
That is a short prayer, but with a very different posture than the religious leader's prayer. And yet Jesus sort of gives the prayer of the tax collector like two thumbs up. So if you hesitate to pray because you don't know what to say, then this should be comforting. That what you say when you pray is more important than how much you say. So back to Jesus in Matthew, verse 7. It says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Then verse 8, don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. That people who sort of equate length of prayer with connection with God, like, don't be like them. And this verse also sort of explains why we don't necessarily need a lot of words or the right words. In fact, this might be part of the reason we don't pray anymore or very often. That if our Heavenly Father already knows, then why should we ask or pray? And since Jesus is such a powerful teacher, it's possible this question is exactly what Jesus wants us to be asking at this point. That this is a question that we should ask. That if God already knows me and knows what I need, then why should I pray? And the flip side of this is that if you have to inform God, is that really even God? Which brings us to the tension that Jesus seems to be leading us toward. Because many of us have reduced prayer to informing God about our needs, our wants, and our wishes. Or maybe informing God about the needs and wants and wishes of the people we care about. But probably mostly ours. So if God already knows, why pray? Because Jesus prayed, and Jesus encouraged, encouraged and taught his followers to pray. So what are we missing? And Jesus has sort of, at this point, sort of deconstructed our prayer paradigm, and now he's going to rebuild it. He's going to speak into and resolve the tension that he's created around prayer. And now he's going to sort of demonstrate what prayer should be. Verse 9, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Does this mean that God is male? Does this mean that God is masculine? Well, those are valid questions that the Bible actually already addresses, saying that God is not male or female, that God is spirit and love. But with that said, I don't think Jesus wants us to get hung up on the terminology because Jesus is inviting us into something more intimate than spirit or concept or being or deity or judge. That Jesus is inviting us into something relational, personal, and non-formulaic. That we have to remember how big God is, and yet he's accommodating to our limited capacity to understand him. And he's saying we can approach and understand and relate to this otherwise incomprehensible God whose image we bear, but whose ways are often different than our ways. Jesus is saying we can approach this incomprehensible God in relational terms, a father. And for some of us, that's not a problem at all. Maybe you grew up with a great father, you are a father, and you know great fathers. However, your experience might be like mine, that your experience might make this imagery and terminology challenging. And the good news is, your Heavenly Father knows that. Your Heavenly Father understands that and is willing to enter into that tension with you. And I've found that after wrestling with this term and my experience for many years, you can bring all that stuff with you when you pray. And in fact, in many ways, the flaws of our earthly fathers help show us what a perfect Heavenly Father is like. That Jesus continues in verse 9. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And this is something that we can be tempted to sort of skip by, but Jesus' point is this, when we pray, we should pause to acknowledge who we are addressing. The great God who has no equal or rival, the, the uncreated creator, the infinite and intimate God who invites you to call him Father. That most of the, the big and lofty, almost infinite type people that we can think of, the celebrities, the athletes, the political leaders, 
they have a bigger than life persona or reputation, they will not also be able to connect with us intimately. If we got the chance to meet them, and yet our bigger than life God can also connect with us relationally. That when it says holy, it means that God is set apart. He's different from us. And yet the tension is that we even have the ability to address him. And not just that, but to still understand that he knows me, hears me, and sees me. And if we're honest, this type of prayer acknowledgement, this mindset is hard to have in traffic, right? And this is where your prayer location and time become important. Because when we pause to reflect on who God is, we gain a better understanding of who we are and who and why we're here. That's from Andy Stanley. We gain a better understanding of the relationship between the created and the creator. And this is the place where prayer sort of recenters our lives. This is the recalibration, regaining our bearings. This is where we can see the context of our lives in God's bigger story. That our lives are not significant because of what we accomplish or how long we live. Our lives are made significant because we bear the image of this holy God and we are his children. And if you skip over and, and rush past this, you'll be tempted to skip over and rush by what follows. And, and even worse yet, you'll resist what follows. Because what follows includes the purpose for why we pray. What follows includes why we pray. When we sort of need to get away from the pressures and responsibilities of this life that leave us with the impression that this is all there is, that we are all that matter. That when we rush by addressing who God is, prayer can be sort of a good luck charm or a reflex, a last glance in the mirror before leaving, a wish me luck before a presentation or an exam. That if we don't begin by experiencing some sense of awe about God, then we might lose what comes next. Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, wait, like, what about my kingdom? What about my will? What about my family, my health, my job, my bills? What about me? To which Jesus might say, Did you read that previous verse? For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. Like, oh yeah, I already forgot that, right? May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That when we pause to acknowledge God, there isn't much else to say, but you first, your agenda first, my kingdom can wait. And as we said in previous discussions about prayer, the purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose it. But for today, the purpose of prayer is to sort of align or realign ourselves with God's agenda. That Heavenly Father, before I ask anything, I want you to know, and I need to acknowledge that I want what you want. Prayer isn't to move God, but to be moved by God. And this is actually the thing that Jesus wrestled with in the garden before his arrest and crucifixion. He said, Heavenly Father, I don't want to go through this, yet not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus invites us to live as he prayed, submitted to the will of our Heavenly Father. And to be blunt, if we pray with any other posture than submitting to God's will and his kingdom, even when it conflicts with ours, if we pray with any other posture than that, then we aren't praying according to the way of Jesus which can lead us to some very important questions for the remainder of our prayers. Where can I help in your kingdom, God? Where am I getting in the way? And if we can't move forward from this point, then there may not, might not be a point in continuing our prayers. Until our will is surrendered to God's kingdom and God's will, then we are basically just consumers. That God becomes a vending machine, a genie in a bottle, or maybe more modern, he becomes an app for us. If God is just a favor granter, a divine healer waiting to be summoned, a lifeguard waiting to be called to duty, then praying the way that most of us pray would seem fine. But what if Jesus was correct? What if God, your Heavenly Father, is more than all that? 
or really none of that? What if he, his will includes you, but is bigger than you? It includes you, but doesn't necessarily center on you. What if prayer doesn't begin with asking, but recognizing and submitting? What if we are to begin our prayers remembering who God is and who we aren't, so that his will takes precedent and not ours? Now, here might be the reason that the time of day that you pray matters. That the reason that you find yourself trying to pray your, out, your way out of situations that you behave your way into, possibly the reason you find yourself in that situation is because you don't begin your day recognizing and submitting to God's will. You may not begin your prayers this way. You don't begin your prayers like this or your day surrendered to your Father's will. So what do you do? Well, we, we put our unsurrendered selves into situations that we can't get ourselves out of and situations that we would have avoided if we began and continued the day recognizing God and submitting to His agenda and plan for the day. And then when you find yourself in a situation that you created yourself, well, what do you do? You say, God, help me, save me, rescue me. And does God hear those prayers? Well, I think so. But here's the point. Your Heavenly Father would like to help you avoid those situations when you need to pray those prayers. That you do not, you, you really do that rather by beginning your day surrendered to His will. And that's why we pray. So between now and next time, I'd encourage you to try praying this temple or this way that Jesus laid out for us. And then tell Him that His kingdom will be your priority all day long. And if you aren't quite ready to pray that prayer just yet, that's okay because you hopefully learn something about yourself. So I want you to pause there to identify what it is that's keeping you from praying, God, your will be done. It's usually fear, fear of losing something, fear of giving something up or, or someone else up, fear of being left out. And discovering that is progress because you will have identified where God wants to work in your life. That if you can't pray, God, your will be done, then you need to pay attention to that tension. So if you're looking for a prayer that works, this prayer always works on us, but ultimately it works for us as well. Praying like Jesus determines sort of the length of our prayers, uh, because the length of our prayers are often determined by the condition of our hearts. So think about this for a second. Jesus prayed for about 20 seconds before raising Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus prayed all night before he, his, he sacrificed his own life. And in both cases, Jesus already knew what God's will was. But in the latter, he needed more time to get to the place where he submitted to God's will, as tough as it was. So this week, pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Start with your Heavenly Father and not you. Declare his greatness and surrender your will to him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being the great, big, awesome, holy God that you are. That you are set apart and different from us. And in that way, you are really the only one we can come to. For our prayers. God, we ask that you would help us to know how to pray better, like what you want us to pray, like the way that you taught your disciples to pray. God, would you help us to start with how big you are and start with you rather than us? God, would you help us to start with a posture in our hearts of submitting to your agenda, your plan, your will above our own, that we would help build your kingdom before we help build our kingdom? And God, with that posture, would you help us to start our day that way? But would you also help us to continue our day that way? That throughout the day, we would be looking for ways to submit to your agenda and your plan, even when it's in conflict with ours. That we look for ways to help build your kingdom before we build our own kingdom. God, would you help us to start each day this way? Because it could help us to avoid so many problems. 
It can help us avoid so many situations where we need to ask you to save us or help us or protect us. Because if we start our day surrendered to your will, you will help guide us and we will look and see the ways that you're trying to lead us and direct us. So God, would you help us over these next seven days to start our day submitting ourselves to you? Not necessarily because you need it, but because we need to do that. To help us to recalibrate and recenter our lives and align our lives to you. We ask that you'd help us each day. Help us remember to pray and start our day submitting to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.